0: So, you know, we've been kind of going, we kind of went backwards. So, um, you know, after the initial preparations, uh, the, the, the census that was taken and the, the consecration and all that stuff about, you know, how to travel, how to do the camp configuration, uh, the, the, the pillar of cloud and fire, the tabernacle, uh, all that good stuff. They actually started the journey. Right. And, um, Right away, they started grumbling. Right away, they started having issues with uh, with issues, right? Uh, whether it be food, or whether it be um, kind of the, the the situation of the land, or whether it was fear, right? Um, and so we started with chapter eleven, where there was um, kind of some complaints, and uh, you know, God had to uh, deal with that uh, regarding you know the grousing about about no meat right? they all, all they had was manna and so they um god provide to them quail so i try to connect the words grouse and quail but they're different they're different birds <laughs> and um so uh, uh you know god you know sent a kind of a plague to to punish some of them uh and then we jumped ahead 13 and 14 which was kind of the crux right that was the most kind of central uh, it's a tragic event it's, it's a uh, sad event uh, that occurred where the israelites were on the brink of entering the promised land but due to the unfaith the faithless spies their evil report um, they riled they riled the people up to collectively corporately as we talked about mob mentality refused to enter in right and uh, god disinherited them he said that none of the first generation no man that was 18 years or older uh, would enter the promised land Um, they would all die in in the wilderness so for one generation 40 years they're 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 cursed uh, to wander and so um, we were going to pick up some of those you know narratives ongoing narratives but this idea of kind of rebellion this idea of kind of taking issue with god and god's people god's leaders um it 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 has a several more kind of twists and turns right different scenarios different characters involved different responses right and you know the whole thing ends actually with moses himself right becoming disinherited because he uh, missteps right he Is disobedient to God and so God says you will not enter the promised land Joshua will will take them in so it's uh pretty sobering right overall but I think it's also educational right and so hopefully we can benefit from it so today uh chapter 11 I went a little bit backwards because I chapter 12 sorry I wanted to um first talk about to me the main rebellion which was 13 and 14 and then go back to 12, and then we'll jump to 16, and then I think 20 is at the next one. All right, so could we have volunteers to read chapter 12 for us?
1: Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When both of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions, I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord, Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses?
2: The anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb, and its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, If her father has spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days and the people did not move on till she was brought back. After that, the people left Harazoth and encamped in the desert of Paran.
0: All right. okay, so Here's an incident with um, three important characters, right? Uh, Three well-known people, one family, right? We have, we're not not sure if Miriam was the oldest or Aaron was the oldest, but uh, they were both older than Moses uh, of the same parents. Um, And uh, for some reason, they too uh, take issue with uh, Moses's leadership. um, I think Moses, by this time, is pretty used to, uh, you know, these kind of challenges and uh, these kind of, I guess, awkwardness or the, the, the burden that, that comes with it. But I, I think that it must have been particularly char- hard right? if you've ever been challenged by someone that's close to you or maybe someone you have a trust relationship with and, uh, you know, in this unjustified, right, maybe justified uh, challenges are good for us, right? To keep us on the straight and narrow, uh, help us uh, you know, prune, prune our uh, experience and, and our service uh, to God, our personalities. But uh, in this one, as we see what how God responds, um, I think Aaron and Miriam are are in the wrong uh, and stuff. But it's there, and I think it's uh, again illustrative or um, educational. Right to to see um, kind of what maybe maybe we could talk about their underlying motivation. We could talk about Moses's response. We could talk about uh, God's relationship with Moses. I think those are all fertile areas for us to consider. I'm not sure we're going to get to all of them, but uh, those were some of the uh, avenues I was hoping that we could cover uh, today. So um, now uh, both. Aaron and, and Miriam, uh, they uh, played prominent roles, right? Not only um, in the family, but uh, among the uh, Israelite uh, national uh, leadership as well. Right? So Aaron, he is uh, chosen by God actually, first to, to be uh, a spokesman spokesperson on behalf of god and moses if you remember moses while he was still in midian was called by god to go and tell pharaoh to let god's people go but moses hems and haws he doesn't want to go and he's like at the end he's like lord send someone else he talks about his own inability to to speak um and, and and many other excuses and then god says okay i'm going to uh I know Aaron's a good speaker. I know he's eloquent. And so I'm going to bring him in. He's going to be your mouthpiece, just as you are my mouthpiece, God said. And and Aaron is side by side with Moses, right, in confronting Pharaoh, in talking to the Israelites, uh, in many of of those kind of endeavors. Uh, There is a a problem later on, if you recall, uh, in Exodus 32. uh, Moses, I mean, sorry, Aaron is complicit in the fashioning of the golden calf, even though he denies it, right? When Moses was up on the mountain, uh, receiving the the law, receiving the 10 commandments and and the other regulations of God, the covenant. Uh, And so Aaron, uh, it's not the first time that he is uh, problematic but um, he certainly had a prominent role and this was even made more prominent when the israelites were uh, in uh, the along the journey right um, so probably in mount sinai god gave instructions for the tabernacle and he also established a priesthood right uh, the sacrificial system was also instituted and god appointed aaron moses's brother to be the high priest right the high priest and aaron's family is uh, his, uh, his progeny, his sons, they become exclusively the priesthood, right? And that actually becomes an issue I think later on in chapter 16, which has some interesting uh, tidbits, right? So, um, you know, Aaron has, like I said, uh, responsibility, he has recognition, um, but somehow, right, he, he, he feels maybe Moses has more, And so um, he, uh, let's say, confronts, attacks, accuses, alleges, whatever you want to say, uh, Moses, and what Moses, uh, Moses's authority. Um, Miriam, uh, her role is less official, but it's important, right? Even in Moses' infancy or childhood, right? So when Moses was born, there was a pogrom, in place established by the Pharaoh to try to keep the numerous Israelites from growing even more in population. Uh, male, Hebrew male, Hebrew baby boys were to be uh, destroyed when they were born to, as a means of population control. But Moses's parents uh, saw that he was a fine boy in faith. They hid him and when they couldn't do so longer, they prepared that papyrus basket waterproofed it and put him in the reeds of the Nile, right? Probably not where alligators are or when there's a big current like the movie Prince of Egypt, but, you know, probably calculated to kind of somebody to find him. And they ask his sister Miriam to be kind of a guardian, watch out for what happens uh, to him. So that's her, her role, even as whatever she was, a teenager or preteen, who knows, uh, what the age gap was? Well, Moses is discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, and when she has pity on Moses, guess who has the pluck, the gumption, the, the the wherewithal, the foresight, right, the the guts, to approach Pharaoh's daughter and says, "Do you want me to find a Hebrew nurse, someone that can you know take care of caretaker for this baby boy?" Pharaoh's daughter agrees, and uh, Miriam goes and gets her own mother, right, Moses' mother, to raise him. And God kind of puts all that together in an amazing tapestry, amazing story uh, that enriches uh, Moses. So he is a Hebrew boy raised by a Hebrew mother, but then he's educated. He's raised in, in, in Pharaoh's court, and he's, I think, ideally primed to be uh, the deliverer, you know, par excellence that God wanted him uh, to be. uh, Miriam is also a a worship leader, right? When the Israelites cross the Red Sea in that amazing, mighty miracle, um, she takes a tambourine and she leads leads the people uh, in praise. And and in the the same chapter, I think, chapter 15, verse 20, Miriam is uh, designated as a prophetess. But we're not given any details what that means, right? We're not told exactly what she did uh, as such. So anyway, her role, let's say is more unofficial, but it's still, you know, well-known even to, you saw at the end of this chapter, when she was punished and and had to be banished outside the camp, the people don't move on because she was too important of a figure to leave behind and stuff. um, these weren't like upstart um, kind of no names. These were not people who, you know, were just trying to, uh, you know, get their piece of the Israelite dream. They weren't trying to leverage uh, something that they had no connection with or perhaps no privilege uh, before. They, but they uh, decide that they, as a team, would uh, take on, uh, Moses, right? Uh, Steph, if you could shoot up the first uh, study question for us to consider, right? I said that uh, in verses one and 2 were provided the uh, the apparent reason for Miriam and Arian taking issue, right? And that was that she had married a Cushite wife, okay? So let's, I'd like to hear from you guys what you guys think that means. Why were they mad about Well, who is this Kushite wife, (laughs) first of all? Kush, remember, is Ethiopia, right, Ethiopia. And what's what's that, Alice? Is that just the Bible passage? Okay, Um, it's it's Ethiopia, so it's uh, actually south of Egypt or southeast of Egypt. and so that's why they are mad, or or they kind of challenge Moses. So my follow-up question is: Do you think these were the actual their actual concerns, or was, was there something deeper that bothered them? So as we've been doing the past couple of studies, please suggest an answer in the chat. What your thoughts are, or you can verbalize it, or you can actually sh- charade it. You can gesticulate if you if you are good at it. Okay, David smiled, Steph frowned. Not getting some, very much um, feedback, visual cues. Oh, the moons is actually a moon. That's what it was. There's some sort of like Call of the Wild kind of thing. Okay, Diana suggested they were jealous. Why do you think they were jealous?
3: I think the fact that they pointed to um, Moses' wife and then then made a connection with, um, like, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? That doesn't seem to be... Like a like a clear connection, um, it 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 seems like they were just ma- like come they they were just making some sort of excuse to complain about Moses, um, and I don't know if there was one thing I'm not a hundred percent clear on is whether there is a prohibition against marrying another like outside the Israelites um, at this point. I know that's definitely uh, a thing when they they go into, the um, the Israelites moved into the promised land and they were prohibited from, you know, and marrying the Canaanites um, there. But we know that um, Moses' father-in-law, brother-in-law, they were all helpful to the Israelites. Um, so I don't know that, anyway, that's a little bit, that's a little bit different from your question. But um, it, it seems to me that they are, that the um, Miriam and Aaron pointing to um, Moses' wife being Kashai is not related to their comp- their their complaint here. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? It seems like this all is kind of
0: Um, a facade to mask their jealousy of Moses' authority. Well said. Um, I'm glad you brought up the uh, prohibition. I I think my understanding is that at this point, there was not a prohibition, right? That certainly was important when they moved into Canaan because uh, God was uh, wary about the Israelites um, engaging in uh, idolatry. Because of intermarriage, and so he there's a strict prohibition from intermarrying the Canaanites, and of course that that becomes a huge problem uh, for the Israelites. But I think uh, in this instance there were, it was not a clear mandate against it. In fact, uh, I would argue that Moses had no choice. Right, once he fled Egypt, probably not God's will, but you know uh, once he was outside of his own home people, right, um, he had no option but to marry. Um, outside right and um, according to the exodus narratives um, moses married a midianite woman zipporah right and uh, as you mentioned the, the father-in-law Reuel and uh, i forgot this, the brother-in-law uh, hobab I, li- I don't like this name hobab good uh matt chin says they were mad at him uh, but i think okay so why were they jealous of him matt if you have a thought um, I think that they were just probably seeing that Moses was getting all the recognition. And so they just picked something that they could just blame him for. So I think just because he didn't marry an Israelite, they can say, oh, well, you know, Moses, he's such a great leader for us and, you know, a servant of God, but look, he didn't marry an Israelite. This, this is one of his shortcomings. So I think they were just kind of grabbing at you know, straws or something. Okay. I, I think if you follow the logic, the way I would follow it would be, you know, maybe it, it wasn't prohibited, but it wasn't, let's say, a, like encouraged or, you know, recommended, right? It wasn't a, a point of Israelite pride to marry outside the people. So they could say that, hey, Moses, you, you're taking license. You're taking liberty. You just marry any old person you want. But as you guys have so far have said, it sounds like they are, it's kind of a foil for some underlying resentment or, or jealousy. Dave distinguishes power from authority?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the sense I get from like the way Miriam is talking is that it, it's like she wasn't expecting God to show up to challenge what she said, right? It's, it's almost as if she's talking to just other people and say, hey, you know, we're pretty important too. You guys need to listen to us, right? More directed at the community. And, um, and uh, you know, I mean, I think Aaron has a more official role, right? He is the high priest. And when Moses was absent, he did exercise, you know, a good amount of authority over the people. And so kind of, you know, uh, I, I don't think they're necessarily trying to um, take Moses's place as say a spokesman for God's will per se but just to expand kind of their influence among the people and um, so that's kind of why I thought you know this is yeah, this is more of kind of you know I, I want to have more power among the people I want the people to see you know how Moses is not well you know his Kushite wife, and he was not, I guess, nationalistic. Maybe it's a better way for us to kind of think about it since the prohibition wasn't official yet, but it's more of just um, winning the people to their side. So in that sense, it's not, they're not jealous at God for giving Moses authority to kind of direct the people, but they just wanted the people to listen to them more, like grabbing power, kind of having more sway over the people Like, you know, my sense is that, yeah, they're not, I mean, yes, God seems like God has spoken to them. But I mean, if you look at the accounts for it, it's pretty clear. Moses is the only one who went to the tent, right? It's not like, you know, Moses, it's not like Aaron or Miriam get to go, right? And he went, he got the tablets. I mean, in that sense, I don't think they were jealous that, I mean, God, had this kind of relationship with Moses. I mean, they don't. They just don't have that relationship. You know, I don't know if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I know. I found that helpful. Yeah. So it, it, they didn't want the necessarily the official recognition from God or or maybe the burden of it, too, because, you know, Moses carried a huge burden having to be the go between. Right. Kind of a mediator role, mediatorial role in that in that in that kind of in that kind of sense. But maybe they wanted as much influence or the ability to kind of uh, tell people what, what they thought. Uh, they wanted that, that same kind of status. But Rachel offered, yeah, um, you know, some commentators actually think that that was why they um, did not like Miriam. If she was, uh, you know, dark skinned um, from her, uh, sorry, not, not Miriam, didn't like the Kushite wife. Okay, and then you contrast that to the, uh, the, the, lep- the leprosy or the skin condition color. Okay. Um, all right, so um, does anyone have a thought as to why, what might have triggered this? I, I, I want to, I, in my mind, I found something that could trigger maybe this. Um, it doesn't look like there's any sort of like tension or animosity per se, right? Between or you know, I don't know, sibling rivalry, dysfunctional family, we're, we're, all, we're all up in it. So we understand that. But does anyone recall uh, a pretty proximate um, incident that might've triggered this kind of like reaction from Miriam and Aaron. And while that question is simmering, does anyone wanna to try to offer a, like an understanding of who this Kushite wife was?
2: I mean, I think that um, when we're in our discussion here, we're kind of assuming that the Kushite wife is Zipporah, right? But that was what I was going to ask you is, um, is she Zipporah?
0: Diana says could still be Zipporah. (laughs) Yeah, um, I I, I think the commentators, you know, go a hundred different directions. They say that this Moses had a second wife or more wives, but there's no evidence of that. Right, uh, she seems to be the main wife. They, so they say Zipporah died, right? But again, you know, we're not told that. Uh, like we're told about you know major deaths. Uh, maybe Zipporah went back. She didn't want to wander. She wanted to hang out with her dad. And and so there's all this speculation uh, and stuff. But I think uh, one interesting way to look at it is to say that the Kushite wife was Zipporah. But then then you have that you know prima prima facie. Uh, Fossier, uh, contradiction. Is she a Midianite or is she a Kushite? I I've, I've, I've found one clever way to kind of harmonize that. Anyone want to take a stab? She was a Mushite. <laughs> <laughs> no, Peter, Peter, with your theory.
1: With your, uh, <laughs> What's
0: that, David?
1: Also, another
0: theory. Another theory?
1: Yeah, so. another
0: what another theory theory Theory. yeah
1: quick quick yeah deuteronomy 34 actually when he died it says moses is um you know his eye was not dim and his vigor was not abated right and you know that's kind of a euphemism for something else right vigor not being abated so maybe they had an issue not per per se that she was Cushite, but because moses was too you know happy with women (laughs)
0: They had multiple wives, but then that's speculative, right? That we don't have any proof that he had more than one wife, other than they were mad at this Kushite wife. So let's let's leave that theory behind. Maybe Zipporah's Diana's on fire. Zipporah's father was from Ethiopia. That that's what the comment, one commentator said. That that Reuel or Jethro, he was Ethiopian or Kushite, and then he migrated to to Midian. But then you go, well, he was that's a like pre, he, uh, yeah. That's but good. I mean, it. it it, it can kind of like try to harmonize, like I said, the, the two. But, you know, he's a priest of Midian. So would he would he be granted? Anyway, nobody knows. Okay. So let's leave it at that. Um, but uh, anyone, uh, I want to move on. So anyone have a, a theory for why they were jealous? Why now? Okay. So chapter 11. Oh. Felicia for the inciting event. Could it be? Oh, very good. That's That's what you agree with the uh, NICOT commentator, right? So, you know, Moses, when he had to deal with the quail issue, he kind of said, told God, why did you put me in this place? I, these people burden me all the time and I can't handle it. And God responded, saying, okay, I'm going to give you the power, that I'm going to pass your, the spirit I gave you to others, to 70 elders. And Miriam and Aaron were not part of that, right? So maybe, I mean, again, we don't have a direct causal nexus, but maybe that uh, that that could, right? They were overlooked. They were, that wasn't what God wanted them to do, right? Uh, and so they w- were wondering if uh, maybe Moses was um, kind of, or God was, whoever was kind of robbing them or kind of demoting them uh, and the like. Okay, so here they are. They start complaining uh, against God and um, against Moses. Right. And I think it's very interesting to see Moses' reaction. Right. Um, he doesn't, we don't see him being offended. We don't see him like being trying to be political, manipulative. He doesn't try to, you know, undermine them. Right. Uh, he kind of leaves it up to God. And I think that's, that's just a very fascinating and amazing and exemplary reaction to uh, when someone or you know this this issue of jealousy or power struggle or you know uh, you know even on a national political stage you know we see that you are being played out where people are playing these kind of you know one one upsmanship um, just you know you hear about betrayal uh you know just the political intrigue you know in the bible in in in, in history in, in in everything it seems that you know in, in companies in families right, among friends in churches uh, it's just unfortunate that um, there is uh, so much conflict and striving and fighting in fighting uh, for that but moses he kind of like, in, in, my, in my book, in my understanding, he kind of like says, I'm not gonna, this is up to God, right? And I am not going to, you know, um, mud wrestle with my, my brother and my sister uh, about this. right uh, He entrusts this uh, to God and this is so hard. This is uh, really difficult, right? In whatever arena, whatever context, whatever place uh, you might find yourself either being the instigator or being instigated against. Um, there, there is um, this, you know, ultimate trust, this basic trust in uh, what uh, God wanted. If you remember going back to what Belisha mentioned in chapter 11, Right? There were these 70 elders that were you know, given the spirit. They started to prophesy. And then a couple other guys that didn't show up. They were supposed to, I guess. Why did I forget. But they, they, they didn't show up. They started prophesying. And then Joshua, who did go to the, into the tent of meeting with Moses, unlike Miriam and Aaron, he goes, my Lord, stop them. They're questioning your authority. They're challenging. They're the, mutinous or whatever. whatever you're, you know, I'm, I'm putting words in, the, in Joshua's mouth. But what does Moses say? He goes, oh, I wish... Everybody prophesied. I wish everybody was a leader. I wish everybody was used by God in, in this way. Right? And I find that to be so, so real, so raw, so um, so um, indicative of who Moses was, or at least what Moses thought of leadership. Right? I think the, what Moses thought of leadership and authority and power uh, is this. Right? The only reason that he is leading the only reason that he is the you know whatever the he has the role that he has is because of his relationship with God he is in where he is and he is uh, leading because God told him to so to me his leadership is a function of his relationship right because he's so close to God because he knows what God wants he knows what God you know has asked him to do because a call is clear upon his life Moses acts in obedience. He does what God wants. If God wanted him to be out of the picture, in, in, in the mass of people, forgotten, overlooked, you know, didn't have any sort of influence or authority or power, Moses was just an ordinary Israelite. I think Moses would have been fine with that. Leadership was a function, was in a, a byproduct, was um, a result of what God wanted him to do in his life. Right. And I feel like if, if people, you know, if you, if you are thinking, you know, when we talk about leadership in, in I understand the secular leadership and let's say religious leadership and all that kind of stuff is there, there's differences, but somehow I feel like leadership is just kind of held up on this pedestal. Right. And I understand, I understand that, you know, leaders drive things, leaders make decisions, leaders set examples. So, you know, I understand all of the a lot of the theory uh, behind it but to me it really should boil down to this right that leadership is secondary to the relationship with god if god wants us any one of us to be leaders we should be if god doesn't want any of us to be leaders we should be fine with that right it's not a a a, a special kind of um uh, some sort of like amazing kind of you are so special before God then you know you should be a, a, a leader right that kind of thing it's not a, a hierarchy it's not trying to uh, distinguish yourself in, in a certain kind of matter right it, the first and foremost it's closeness with God and I think you know lots of times sometimes closeness with God manifests or, or kind of expresses um, in this way but if God has given it to you and then he Tells you to change tech, if he gives it to you, takes it away, gives it to you, takes it away, takes it away, takes it away, gives it, you know, even though that might drive us crazy, drive me crazy, right? I, I think that, um, you know, Moses at least uh, would have been, you know, pretty good uh, with that, right? He doesn't presume uh, upon his position, he doesn't arrogate. I feel like that's what Moses and Miriam and Aaron are doing. Uh, Miriam and Aaron are doing. They're saying this is the way to uh, happiness or success or the kind of prestige or, or, or whatever power that they wanted to have. And so they grasped at it, right? And they, they sinned in, in the process because it wasn't theirs to take. And Moses was a wrong dude to mess with, right? God makes that. Uh, super clear, right? So their leadership grab or power grab, as let's say Dave put it, it, it wasn't, uh, it didn't come out of the relationship with God. It came out of their relationship with self, right? With their own sinful pride, with their own self-assessment, with their own uh, messed up uh, value uh, system. And, and and we see that all throughout the New Testament. Um, Jesus is the greatest example of the psalm. Right? Although he was the son of God, God wanted him to be the son of man, the lowliest. And so Jesus did that. Right? He con- constantly tried to teach his disciples: you know, if you want to be great, right, be the servant of all. You know, be first, be last. Right? You know, there's so many lessons about it, right? But but you know, I think I find Jesus's leadership really hard to kind of emulate because you know, no matter what we say, he really is the son of God, right? And he really is. Uh, perfect uh, in this sense so i like i like john the baptist i think he's a very helpful uh, kind of example for it right god called john and john was a great prophet right people flocked to him he 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 baptized jews right Uh, baptism was uh, a way before you know christian baptism baptism was a way to to show you were uh, converting, you were a proselyte. You were a converting. You were a Gentile. Now you're giving indication that you're a Jew. So he was baptizing Jews, meaning that Jewish people were saying, "I was born a Jew, but I'm not acting like a Jew. Let me be born again as a Jew." Right? It kind of has those those kind of uh, symbolism, that kind of indication. So he had that kind of like power, and you know, he was talking against Herod. You know, soldiers. You know, even some of the priesthood. I think submitted uh, to him. And yet, when Jesus came on the scene, John's influence whew, plummeted. Right? John was, you know, Jesus even took some of John's disciples. Uh, Jesus didn't really, you know, he got baptized by John, but from then on, Jesus you know, embarked on this ministry, right? John got in prison. Jesus didn't visit him. You know, all those kinds of things. But John was really cool with it because it, again, his leadership um, grew out. It extended from the base of his relationship, intimate relationship with God. Steph, I don't know if you got John 3, but if you could put that up. Uh, Gospel of John chapter 3.25. Um, I like this passage um, uh, f- to do this um, about humility. right? You know, I think a lot of people think humility is modesty or humility is quietude um, and stuff. And it might manifest in that way. But humility is really, like I've been saying um doing what god wants you to do so if it's public and it's big and it's you know larger than life then if you're humble you got to do it right but if you're not right then you're gonna try to manipulate you're gonna try to uh manage you're gonna try to do what you think gets you the best right and leaves you in, in the best position again moses wasn't like that john wasn't like that an argument developed between some of john's disciples Certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man, this is Jesus who was with you on the other side of the Jordan. the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I'm set ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy. When he hears the bridegroom's voice, that joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Right. So, verse twenty-seven: A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. That's John. That's Moses. That should be us. That's the humble person. What God gives us or doesn't give us, what he, you know, then we're going to act uh, accordingly. Right. The uh, the the kid version of John chapter three is, you know, what. Joyland teachers always say you get what you get and you don't get upset right you get what you get and you don't you get what God gives you and you don't get upset about it right? Moses Miriam and, and, and Aaron were upset they didn't get Moses' helping of, 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 of leadership. They didn't get you know uh, appointed as the 70 elders they didn't get you know what the kind of recognition that they felt that they should and so they got upset. And then they tried to take Moses down, you know, whether the Kushite wife was a problem or it was just an excuse for a problem, but they create a problem, right? And God rebukes them, right? Let's go to verse 3, if you could uh, look back on Numbers 12. Uh, This is one of my funniest and, and most interesting verses of all. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth, right? Awesome right? we were talking about humility, right? And this is what describes Moses. The funny thing is that Moses wrote it about himself, <laughs> right? They say that Moses probably authored or, or penned the Pentateuch and whatever, maybe compiled things and stuff like that. But if he wrote this, it's just so funny that, you know, he, in self-description, you would say, I'm the most humble man that ever lived on the face of the earth. But if my theory of leadership is correct, it's true, right? right? I would I would kind of, um, you're right, kind of substitute the words, right, that uh, now Moses was um, the most obedient or the most willing or the most um, accepting of what God had given to him than any other person, right? And if it meant that Moses had to walk through uh, all of these, whatever, prominent, decisions, or he had to stand at the front of people, or he had to um, carry their burdens. Right? That's what he was willing to do because he loved God, right? because he was close to them. Uh, nowhere do we see that Moses harbors any ill feelings towards Miriam and, and Aaron. In fact, when Aaron, uh, when Miriam, turns leprous, um, Aaron, right, indicative of his acknowledgement that he is no Moses. He asks Moses, "Please pray that she would not be permanently like this." And uh, Moses does. He doesn't say, "Well, you know, that's the last straw, third strike. You know, good riddance. You guys are out of here." No, he he straight away, right? He prays and at least gets the. The sentence uh, reduced um, uh, and the like yeah so uh, it's, it's interesting to me um, that Moses would um, kind of really have this for the most part have this kind of uh, response uh, to them uh, let's go quickly through a couple more questions I have pop a question two um, and uh, I can't spend too much time but why do you think God interacted related to Moses in the way that he described in v6 to 8? Yeah, and how might we apply that to ourselves? So, what God says about Moses is that he's special, he's unique, right? He, even like more than normal prophets, God spoke to him face to face and and the like. So, uh, any you guys, any you guys have any thoughts or input about why God chose to interact with Moses in this way? Great. um Dave shared something about beatitude. Uh, great
2: I have a question so was God talking to Miriam and Aaron saying kind of like how like how dare you kind of talk to Moses in this way Yeah I think so okay
0: He's saying that Moses has this kind of unique role uh, unique connection with God and they kind of poo-pooed that thinking that they, they had it with God too.
2: So I guess in that sense then um, like yeah like you were saying like Moses is really special like he he's faithful in everything in his house so it's almost like talking bad against Moses is talking bad about God. Okay. I guess that's how close of a relationship that they had.
0: Right, so certainly God is defending Moses, right? Um, and saying that um, Miriam and Aaron, uh, of all people, they should have recognized that and not kind of a challenged uh, Moses. Any other thoughts? Was this like Exclusive, in your mind, do you think God, Moses was like the only person who would ever get this kind of Privilege Yeah, I appreciate what Belicia said, Belicia said about um, as an encouragement to Moses. And yeah, I, I think um, in the midst of all this, I think Moses is imperfect. Right? We see how he killed the Egyptian foreman, he tried to take matters into his own hands. He was dragging his feet and being the deliverer. Um, he gets he shows his own impatience at times and eventually he disqualifies himself. So he's, he's got his own own faults, but uh, God's grace is really strong right, uh, in his life. Um, and, and then uh, again, what Joe said was great too. It, I, somehow I feel that uh, nothing that God gave Moses was wasted. Right? Like sometimes when I think about God's grace, God's word, God's presence or revelation in our lives, a lot of it is we're just kind of, oblivious right you know God sends it our way God has it whatever packaged uh he's right uh, he does treat us um in special ways but you know because of our hard-heartedness or here Aaron and Miriam because of their kind of uh, they wanted to usurp uh Moses's role their, their hearts were full of self and jealousy and, and all that um we miss out on the opportunities and so I don't think that Moses was like exclusive or unique. Like God only had enough interest or enough, I don't know, gifts or blessings for one person. And Moses was that, you know, but God is never, um, you know, God doesn't deal in terms of scarcity. He deals in abundance. So if there were 50 Moseses, right. If there were 50 people like Moses who took God seriously and was willing to bear any burden that God gave them and, you know, either haltingly or whatever, but um, if they indeed were faithful, if they indeed um, experienced, wanted to experience God like Moses did, they would have experienced God would not have shortchanged them. He would not have been stingy right, with his blessing. It, It just shows the rarity, right? How, um, few and far in between such people are, right? And again, it's, it's, it's the proper understanding of whatever, um, of what we are called to do. We're not called to be better than other people. We're not called to like compare with each other. We're called to love God, you know, just focus on loving God and being loved by him. And, you know, in the process, loving others, right? And being loved by others. It's when we start thinking like, where do I stand in the pecking order? Where do I, where do I rank? Um, how come he? How come they? How come, you know, it, uh, it, it, it the, these kind of of uh, fo- focuses, right? These kind of areas of focus, it distracts us. It hampers us. I think it really robs us of any chance to be like Moses. Right? In the end, I feel like Moses um, um, had this such an intimate and and focused relationship with God like I said, you could take leadership out of it. You could take all the miracles out of it and Moses would be happy. He'd be fine. He'd be just as close to God, you know, with all of the, without all of the great things as he was, with all of the great things that he did have. Right. So, you know, I always go back to one of my favorite passages, which is, you know, when after the golden calf incident, God says, I'm going to wipe out everybody and start over with you. And God says, please, Moses, intercedes and says no don't wipe out everybody you know you have to go with us and and god is so pleased with moses's prayer moses's attitude and heart that he says i'm going to give you whatever you want and of all the things that moses could ask for right if you guys remember he says i want to see your glory and i think that's what this uh this these verses six to eight allude to right that he saw god's form that's how close they were that's how much moses wanted to be close to god right when he could get anything he could have been his own nation he could have been his own king he could have been the king of the israelites he could have pretty much anything he wanted all he said was i just want more of you god i just want to see your glory and god like that pleased god so much, that delighted god so much right that god had so much more to pour out into Moses' life and that's again something that Miriam and, and Moses and Aaron, uh, I'm really messing up the names Aaron and Miriam, um, had no clue. Right? Again, to them it was just transactional to them. it was a power issue to them. You know God was, you know um, a, a, a more of a force or more of a supplier than um, the one with whom they could love with all their heart mind, soul and strength and be. Uh, and be uh, spoken to, cared for, commanded, uh, just the way that God wanted. Um, Let me finish with the third question. Um, You know, why didn't God heal Miriam right away? Right? Uh, I guess before that question, it'd be, how come Miriam was struck and Moses was not? I mean, Aaron was not. Every time I taught this Bible study, one of our one of our smart sisters asks that question, which I think is a valid question. And how come you know Miriam is bears the brunt of the punishment? So, be careful how you answer. I'm just kidding. Uh, what are some What would you say are some reasons for the way that God disciplined Miriam? Some commentators say, I'll just offer this for you. Um, Miriam, it was more Miriam's issue or more of her. She was the driving force behind this and Aaron just kind of helped her along. I don't know. If that's uh, accurate. High priest cannot be
1: defiled. Hmm. I think maybe like God honors the office that he gave to him. Aaron, right? Because you you can't do certain duties if you're the high priest, if you become defiled. And when you do have this disease, you become defiled. And so
0: that's an interesting theory. Uh, I I would argue uh, just to uh, offer the other side to say there were other priests. So it wasn't that it was exclusive. I mean, it was it wasn't that, you know, nothing could happen without Aaron. And then they themselves, I think, had times of defilement in the course of their duties that they had to kind of get purified for. So uh, that's interesting, but I'm not sure. Yeah. We have to think through that. Okay. Sam Liang offered Miriam was the oldest sibling possibly. And so she should have known better. I would offer the other side that says Aaron had more official duties. He was a priest. He actually saw the glory of God, maybe more than, than, or interacted more with God directly than Miriam did. But yeah, this kind of standard, known or should have known, I think could could be part of it. Any other? It's like a cliffhanger. <laughs> we have to resolve this before Christmas. No, just kidding. let's let's make diana answer it because she's like gotten she's had good input on all all the questions diana why was miriam struck and not aaron okay maybe miriam instigated it she was the driving force yeah, no answer. I don't have the answer. <laughs> yeah, uh, my conjecture would be this: um, even though Aaron wasn't, you know, punished, he had to watch his sister be punished. Um, right? He got off physically scot-free, so I think I want to argue. I I don't know if I'm right, but the mental burden of watching a co-conspirator suffer when you are not suffering Uh, for the right kind of person with that right perspective i think it's it's more excruciating or at least it's also excruciating right when the guilt um he knows that he he deserves the same thing but for whatever reason, he's not struck, but, you know, his sister is, and, you know, Aaron, um, he says, you know, don't hold it against us, we sinned, so he's not blaming Miriam, right, you know, maybe he even would understand, like, can, can I have half the disease, <laughs> or whatever, you know, it, it's, if you've ever been, like, um, like, someone has been merciful to you, and like harsh against somebody else. Uh, it's terrible. It's terrible standing by uh, for that. And, you know, God didn't, you know, God does say, you know, she has to have seven days, you know, if father struck her, that kind of stuff. So, you know, you, you read a lot of commentaries that talk about some of the, you know, the, the gender issues in the Old Testament that might that might be in play, but, you know, every day Aaron has to count the days. When it should have been him, or he should have been equally out there uh, uh, and stuff. I think this is a real um, lesson learned for Aaron, just as much as it is for, for Miriam. Because um, you'll find that, so we, we did 13, 14 first before 12, but remember Aaron was part of the intercession. He fell face down with Moses and prayed for the people. You'll see later on in chapter 16, I don't wanna spoiler alert, you can read it on your own. but. Aaron gets challenged by um, Korah and Nadab and Abihu, those kinds of guys for his, you know, his priesthood. So uh, I, I think he he learns uh, this kind of, you know, what is good, what is bad, um, in this area a little bit. Okay, that's my that's my thoughts. Um, there are a number of things that we can't answer definitively, but I hope that we're uh, sniffing around in the right areas and, and that you personally me um that there are stuff for us to really chew on and re- really evaluate right? and i think it really apart from what leadership is and apart from jealousy and all that kind of stuff you know, just that big question how close are you to god now, to me that that answers everything um okay let's pray heavenly father thank you for a chance to um, look at this uncomfortable story Uh, maybe too true to life uh, but nonetheless um, as we see conflict in the first family um, and then we see god's um, harsh judgment uh, in it Uh, but through it all the shining example of moses uh, i think uplifts us uplifts me lord to uh, really uh, draw closer to you uh, to look to you as uh, not. maybe we'll never get a chance to see your glory but help us to never stop desiring to um, crying out uh, really living a life that pleases you Uh, be with each of us especially as uh, the reason for this season our lord jesus his birth his first advent um, is upon us um, in this crazy year lord we really need the hope that jesus brings peace on earth goodwill towards uh, all people uh, thank you for our our ministry group our brothers and sisters uh, please up, uphold your grace uh, within each of our lives In jesus name we pray amen